<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by Sup China. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast, and I'm Ada Shen in Paris. First, a look at this week's news. The threat of a trade war has become a reality. At 12:01 a.m. Friday, the Trump administration imposed tariffs on 34 billion dollars worth of Chinese goods. Items that will now face a 25% import tax when they enter the U.S. China immediately accused the U.S. of starting the largest trade war in economic history and implemented broad retaliatory tariffs of its own. The U.S. tariffs target 800 types of Chinese products in industries such as aerospace, electronics, machinery, and medical devices. And this may be just the beginning. Both sides are mulling additional tariffs and other responses. The direct impact of the imposed tariffs on the two countries' economic growth will be modest because the value of goods involved accounts for only a sliver of bilateral trade, but the impact on targeted industries will be significant. Some analysts said, "Chinese stocks were unfazed by Friday's trade tensions. In fact, the Shanghai and Shenzhen bourses ended the day up, a reversal from weeks of pressure that had pushed them into bear territory on concerns about a slowing economy." Analysts said stock investors had already priced in the impact of escalating trade tensions, and thus the uptick marked a slight rebound from the current bear market. But as tariffs start to have an impact in the future, investors could grow increasingly concerned. Some investors have started buying stocks on anticipation that the route may be near a bottom, and the central bank will turn to more accommodative monetary tools to boost China's economy. Several prominent banks and private investors have been left in the lurch since the boss of a licensed Shanghai wealth management firm disappeared early last week. Zhu Yidong, chairman of the Fuxing Group (FX Group), which owns Ilung Wealth Management, has been missing since June 26th. On that date, he posted a message to social media saying that long-term interpersonal relationships are based on shared traits rather than repression and flattery. His family denies knowing his whereabouts. His disappearance has left a slew of urban commercial banks that invested in FX Group in limbo, including the Bank of Beijing, Hengfeng Bank, and SPD Bank, 
as well as several trust companies. The total amount that these entities invested in FX Group is not clear, but Caixin has learned that at least one institutional investor has plowed billions of yuan into the company. China Communications Construction, CCC, which was building a major section of a 20 billion US dollar railway in Malaysia, said it has suspended the project at its client's request. The builder has received a letter from Malaysia Raillink ordering, quote, an immediate suspension of the project until further instructions. CCC said it felt, quote, disappointed and worried that the project has been suspended after 13% has been completed, and that the suspension will affect 2,000 local employees and hundreds of Malaysian suppliers and consultants. The Malaysian side didn't say when or if work would resume. Malaysia's new prime minister has called the project, quote, unnecessary, and said that he would look into mega-projects approved by the earlier administration that saddled the government with heavy debts. The rail line in question is slated to connect the South China Sea off the east coast of Malaysia with shipping routes in the west, and is part of a larger Southeast Asian rail network that Chinese companies are building, including in Laos and Thailand. Shenzhen-listed construction company Jiangsu Yabaite Technology faces delisting for fabricating information in its financial reports. The company, whose case has been passed on to public security officials, was fined last year for fabricating a contract for a non-existent transit project in Pakistan. Forced delistings are extremely rare on China's stock exchanges, as regulators are concerned about upsetting retail investors who do the majority of the trading on China's exchanges. Only eight companies have been forced out of the market since 2012, mostly for failing to make a profit for more than three straight years. Only one company has been kicked off a Chinese mainland exchange for falsifying information in financial reports, Zhuhai Boyuan Investment, which was delisted in 2016. As the country seeks to clean up its equity market, China's two mainland stock exchanges issued a draft of tougher delisting rules in March that would make it easier for them to give companies the boot. The latest holdup at China's airport security? Powder. Passengers flying to the U.S. now face extra scrutiny if they hand-carry a quantity of powder larger than a Coke can, a new rule that market observers said might become a common practice in other parts of the world. The new rule, mandated by the U.S. Transportation Security Administration, went into effect at the end of June. At the boarding gates of all international inbound flights to the U.S., including those from China, airlines are now required to take a closer look at hand-carried luggage if it contains more than 350 milliliters, or about 12 fluid ounces, of powder. But the regulator told Caixin in an email response that it doesn't plan to impose the rule for inbound flights to China, for now, because its security checks, quote, can effectively cope with the current level of risk. China's most discussed film of late, inspired by the real-life battle leukemia patients went through to access an expensive drug, has surprised observers with its portrayal of social problems amid the country's heavily censored environment. Dying to Survive tells the story of unsuccessful merchant Lu Yong, who is asked by a leukemia patient to smuggle cheap generic drugs from India to China, breaking Chinese law. Lu eventually builds a complete underground supply network, providing the drugs to many patients unable to afford the licensed versions in China, but drawing the attention of police. The movie is expected to bring in at least $400 million, even more than Avengers Infinity War, which was the highest grossing foreign movie in China this year. 
Speaking of the box office, China's movie receipts expanded 18% year-on-year in the first half of 2018, after surpassing North America in single-quarter takings for the first time ever. Local titles performed particularly well, accounting for a total of 60% of takings, up from 40% last year. However, Hollywood movies still accounted for four of the top ten highest-grossing films. The top three movies were action flick Operation Red Sea, crime thriller Detective Chinatown 2, and Hollywood superhero blockbuster Avengers Infinity War. Three other Hollywood films on the list include Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, sci-fi film Ready Player One, as well as action-adventure Rampage. China caps foreign movie releases at 34 per year. Hollywood has been in talks with Beijing since last year to increase the quota to 50. China overtook the U.S. as the largest movie market by quarterly rankings for the first time ever in the first quarter of the year. The country, which displaced Japan in 2012 as the second largest movie market, quadrupled annual takings in 2017. Let's turn on to Doug Young, Managing Editor of Tsaisian Global, to chat about some of the big events in the news this week. Doug, once again, we're going to be talking about HNA, a company that's come up many a time in this podcast, but uh, with a bit of a sad twist this time. I'm sure that uh, some of us at least need a bit of a refresher, though, about this company. Well, why don't we start off with just who is HNA uh, for those people out there who, who aren't fixated on China. Uh, HNA is this big holding company that's become a, a pretty massive conglomerate. But the theme of this company is that they bought lots and lots of assets. A lot of them are focused in the travel and tourism sectors like airlines, hotels, uh, aircraft maintenance type companies, uh, this kind of thing. But they've, they've also done some other things. Uh, they actually bought a big U.S. company called Ingram Micro that's a computer parts supplier. They paid four or five billion dollars, I think, for that one. Uh, so it's a, it's quite an acquisitive company. So this company had been on this huge buying binge, uh, you know, probably $10, 20000000000 billion worth of acquisitions over the last few years. And they were one of a group of Chinese companies that have sort of been coming under the gun recently because Beijing is trying to delever, you know, basically get down debt levels at all sorts of companies, not just these guys, but these guys in particular, had a lot of debt because they basically gone on these huge buying binges. So that's HNA. Uh, the thing that's in the news is that HNA's chairman has suddenly died. This caught the Chinese world uh, you know, by storm because the company itself has just been in constant headlines because it's selling a major asset every week now to try and pay down its debt. And suddenly, bang, the, the chairman ends up on page one uh, saying he had died in an accidental fall. Uh, This happened in France uh, in a a town, uh, I think a village, people are saying, close to the the city of Avignon. So it's all just very mysterious. The guy apparently was up on a wall, something to do with taking a photo, and he lost his footing and fell about 10 meters, which is about 30 feet. There's a lot of money, of power, scandal uh, involved. So naturally, I think uh, there's been suspicion surrounding the circumstances of his death. How certain are we that this was accidental? Of course, there's been lots of talk or lots of speculation about conspiracy or did the guy, you know, was he under pressure? Did he maybe jump to his death? Um, Was he pushed uh, by some angry, you know, person who got stiffed by them? You know, everybody likes to speculate about these things. But from what everything we've seen so far, and, you know, this would include 
police who are being quoted, uh, presumably witnesses at the scene. It does sound like it genuinely may have been an accident. Um, but again, more details are almost inevitably going to come out in the next, probably in the next week, maybe two weeks. Briefly, what does this all mean for HNA then? You know, this is the guy, he was one of the co-founders. He, he owned 15% of the company, which actually they only disclosed after all the opaqueness stuff came out. You know, he's basically led this company from day one. You know, this is a, maybe a 20, 30-year-old company. It's based on Hainan Island in, in South China. I would say his death is it's going to have an impact. And, and all, a lot of stocks related to the company, they have all sorts of listed units, had been falling. But it's surprisingly, not as much as you might think. They were all down by 2%, 3%. So, so not huge drops. But there was some talk that, because there's a co-founder, another guy named Chun, and uh, you know, there's talk that this guy will have to step up now and, and pursue more responsibilities because this is a big company. Uh, thanks for that, Doug. Uh, we have a second story, this one on the dockless bike share business in China uh, that was really pioneered by Chinese startups. It's always a fun story. What's the news this week? Uh, the news is that Mobike, the either number one or number two operator, one of the top two, uh, the other being a company called Alfo, uh, has officially done away with their deposit policy. And, and this has been quite a controversial thing Uh you know, you're you're borrowing a bike, so it's understandable that the company that you're borrowing from might want to deposit. And Mobike, I believe, had been asking for 300 renminbi deposit, which is about 45, 50 US. Ofo, the rival, I think had been a little less. They'd been 200 renminbi, which is maybe 30 US dollars. But the bottom line is these guys had all been asking for deposits. And, you know, China's a pretty price-sensitive market, so people aren't that crazy. And, and you can actually buy half-decent bikes here for 300 renminbi, which is the size of Mobike's deposit. Basically, Mobike and Ofo both keep these deposits, and, and lots has been written about the fact that they have you know millions or even billions probably of, of renminbi in deposits. Uh, and what are they doing with this money? And if, if the companies run into financial difficulty, what's to stop them from dipping into these deposits, which theoretically they're supposed to refund to everybody, you know, when everybody wants one. So anyhow, going back to the story, Mobike has said they're going to stop collecting deposits. And not only that, they're going to refund deposits that people have paid in the past, which is, you know, a big, big chunk of change. So it's, it's quite a, a large change in policy. And, and the slight backstory is that this is like the first major strategic thing they've done since Mobike was acquired by this company called Meituan. So they've sort of got a new backer, a financial backer. So they, they, they probably have a little more financial resources to do this kind of thing. Meituan is, of course, a giant in the on-demand services sector, the O2O sector, as it's called in China, and uh, one of China's most valuable private companies. So is this being seen as a real threat, a, a major jab at OFO, their competitor? Exactly. I think this is like a really major threat to OFO. And uh, I would not be surprised if, if OFO is under incredible pressure right now. And even as we speak, there's probably discussions going on in their boardroom. Do we end our deposit? Do we refund all the deposits? Because you have to think about it. China is a very price sensitive market. Most people think that Mobike's bikes are better than OFO's anyhow. Uh, so if I'm a consumer, I can suddenly get a Mobike account with no deposit required, 
but I got an OFO account where I put down 100 or 200 Kwai, suddenly I'm going to say, gee, why don't I just cancel that OFO account, get my money back, and just uh, give all my business to, to Mobike. And, and, you know, 100, 200 Kwai isn't a ton. But again, the mentality is going to be, why give these guys my money when I can use a better service for free? So I think OFO is going to be under incredible pressure these next few days, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see them announce that they're refunding all their deposits, you know, in the next week. I, I think there's one little extra thing we can throw in there, too, is OFO might actually not have the money to do this. Uh, so that could be complicating things even further. Uh, OFO is, they don't have a big wealthy parent like uh, Meituan. So they may actually not have enough deposits to cover all these refunds. And that they, they've been reportedly under a cash crunch for a while. So to take a company under a cash crunch and suddenly say to them, you've got to refund a couple million users, you've got to refund 200 million renminbi, they may just not have the cash to do that. So this is starting to look like a brilliant stroke of business hardball by Mobike then. Maybe some will later say a stroke of genius if, if it ultimately causes uh, OFO to, to fold or, or get acquired. So, Doug, we'll check back in with you to see whether OFO has followed up with an uh, end to deposits and, and issuance of refunds itself. Okay. Thanks, Kaiser. Thank you, Doug. And that's this week's show. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is powered by SubChina and is produced by Kaiser Guo and Tanner Brown with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Thanks, of course, to Ada Shen. Special thanks to Li Xin of Caixin Global and to Spring and Autumn and Wu Fei for the music. Check out the latest podcast in the Seneca Network, the Pan Daily Tech Buzz China podcast, as well as our flagship current affairs show, Seneca. And be sure to follow the news from China every day at SupChina. Sign up for our free email newsletter at subchina.com. Take care. Take care.